Now, I know this is not so much a Lutheran thing, but I'm sure we've probably all seen some variation of that classic church painting of Jesus patiently waiting in front of a closed door. He's there leaning in and gently knocking in hopes that someone on the other side might answer. And it's this painting that represents a classic theological metaphor for how Jesus is just waiting for us, knocking at the door of our lives, and all we have to do is open that door and let him in. But if there's any Sunday or Saturday when we can scripturally refute that image and that theology, it is today. Because today we have biblical evidence that closed, even locked doors will not keep Jesus away from us. And setting the scene, our gospel this morning from John begins by telling us that in the days following Jesus' death and subsequent resurrection, the disciples were in fear that they might be the next to be crucified. So they were all together, locked up in a house, away from the Jewish authorities. And it makes me wonder about how even though we know the end of the story, about how Jesus broke free from the tomb, we too, like the disciples, are still locking ourselves up in our own houses of fear. Whether it be the fear of the other, the fear of the future, or fear of failure, we try to insulate ourselves, making ourselves these homes where the worst-case scenarios we are protected against. But no matter the ways in which we try to separate ourselves from those things that we fear, Jesus doesn't let that stop him from sharing with us his peace and breathing on us the Holy Spirit. Jesus appears and stands with us in our houses of fear and offers us to us a peace and a liberating spirit that frees us from the limits and the isolation that fear upon us. But that's just the beginning of today's story. There's this other character who we haven't met yet, and channeling my, my best Aaron Burr from the musical Broadway musical Hamilton, you simply must meet Thomas. <laughs> Thomas is one who was mysteriously away when, the, when Jesus appears to, this, to the disciples the first time. What was he doing? Why wasn't he also seized with fear and locked away in the house with the rest of the disciples? I find this to be a remarkable aspect to this story. Because while Thomas, or doubting Thomas, as he's been more commonly known and labeled by the church, he's been so long used as our own personal punching bag. But maybe Thomas's courage and being out there amongst the world and not locked away, maybe that courage is something to be admired. Thomas has, for years, been held up as the disciple not to be emulated because he doubts and he insists on touching Christ's wounds in order to believe that Christ actually did return while Thomas was away. But on the other hand, Thomas was not held captive by his fear. And that's quite admirable. Reducing this story to be centered only on Thomas's doubt, it's too simplistic, and it's been used unfairly as a and he's been used unfairly as a cautionary character 
to convince us that doubt is somehow something we can try to avoid. But I don't believe that doubt is avoidable. I actually believe that doubt is inevitable, an integral part of our faith. In the words of Aunt Lamont, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Doubting Thomas in this way can reclaim the doubt that has been used by the church to diminish him, and even wear that title, Doubting Thomas, as a badge of honor. And in an interesting turn of events, we could even thank Thomas for his honest and vulnerable confession of doubt. Beyond that, every Christian community needs a Thomas. We all need a Thomas to stay connected to the wounds without which our faith is cut off from the rest of real life. It becomes this intellectual exercise where we live in denial of our doubt and we separate from the rest of the world and surround ourselves with others who believe and think like we do. One of my favorite songs, it's a song called Hymn 35, and it's written by a folk artist named Joe Pug. And in this song, he eloquently strums and sings of all the paradox that encompasses his identity. And it's a beautiful song. My favorite lyric from it is when Joe Pug sings this line. He says, I am faith, I am belief, except for when I'm not. <laughs> and I think we all exist on that spectrum between faith and doubt. And it's in that tension between those two poles that we can relate to Thomas. To blame Thomas for his need to comprehend the resurrection with empirical evidence would be suggesting that doubt can be avoided. The truth is that we cannot fail to have doubts. Because, as Martin Luther said, we are unable to believe on our own but the Holy Spirit comes to give us faith. It's that same Holy Spirit that we receive from the breath of Jesus as he breaks into our houses of fear and doubt. It's that same body of Christ that Thomas was invited to touch, that we will touch today at this table of communion that moves us from fear and that fills us with faith. As Thomas touches Jesus' hand and his side, his confession, it moves from, unless I see, I will not believe. It moves to, my Lord and my God. That confession, my Lord and my God, it remains to be one of the most profound statements of faith for us to echo in our own lives, in our own life of prayer. Thomas, in his doubt, is given something real something tangible to touch and to see. And in these days of Eastertide, we might also proclaim that Jesus is risen. But we too want something real to touch and to know that Christ is truly risen. In our doubt, we might want to reduce the resurrection to something less than real because it might be easier to believe that way. But it's in those moments that I believe we can double down on the realness of the resurrection even in the face of extreme fear and extreme doubt. And in the words of John Updike's seven stanzas at Easter, make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecule re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. It was not as the flowers, 
each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths of fuddled eyes of the eleven apostles. It was as his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same devout heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of the enduring might, new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping, transcendence, making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded, faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but a vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we have an angel at the tomb, make it a real angel, weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawn light, robed in real linen spun on a, on a definite loom. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty, lest awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle and crushed by remonstrance. Today, may you be filled with fear and doubt. That is okay. Jesus is not waiting for us to get our house in order and to open the door. Jesus, real Jesus, is breaking in the houses we lock ourselves up in and offering to us peace and breathing upon us the liberating Holy Spirit that frees us. And if that image is too abstract for you and you need something more real to touch and to taste, come today to this table and like Thomas, experience Jesus' real presence with you. Through that real experience of resurrection, the Spirit is at work, giving us ordinary, fearful, doubting people extraordinary boldness to say, my Lord and my God.